we did, I think, really good, smart, impactful bills that are going to make a difference for people. And that's what I came up here to do, focusing really on housing, homelessness and healthcare. The three H's are what we were focusing on. Those are issues I've worked on, issues close to my heart that I'm really passionate about and issues that people in the district really care about. And so I think that in a lot of ways, my background, what I'm passionate about is a really good fit for the district. And we're bringing back bills that remove red tape to get housing online much more quickly. Hello and welcome again to another episode of Sacktown Talks. Today we're glad to be joined by Assemblywoman Pilar Schiavo. Pilar, thanks for joining us. How's it going? It's going good. I know. You, you uh, had brand new this year, right? This yes. is your first year, first session. And you kind of had kind of like a storybook, uh, you know, uh, I guess, I guess uh, election, kind of a, a way here. <laughs> I think I remember seeing on it's Twitter. It's a story. I don't know if it's storybook. <laughs> you had a very close race, very uh, close. unseated an incumbent, right? The only one in the state to unseat a Republican incumbent, yeah. And you like drove your like electric car like haphazardly up up the five last minute with like no no battery power something like that no it just took four hours took, because that's what it takes sometimes when you have yeah. an electric car yeah. four extra hours to drive from la to sacramento yes nice yes nice. uh so kind of tell us a little bit about yourself before you, you decided to run for assembly you know what were you doing um so before I, I actually worked in the labor movement for 20 years. Um, so I had done a whole bunch of things, recruited and trained union organizers. I did a lot of political organizing. I worked for California Nurses Association mm -hmm. for 13 years, um, where for the most part, I was building coalitions around different campaigns, different issues, um, supporting nurses and fighting for health care um, and fighting for just kind of larger economic justice issues to support workers. Um, which I loved that job very much. I love working with nurses. They're smart and fierce and amazing. Um, and then uh, my last three years with the nurses, actually, I did disaster relief work. So mm -hmm. I deployed nurses to disaster areas, humanitarian missions. It's kind of like Doctors Without right. Borders, but for nurses. Um, so that was amazing work to do as well. Um, and then I got a crazy idea to run for office and I had to quit my job to do it, which was very scary as Why? a Why'd single mom. Um, just kind of policy yeah. of the organization didn't want to, I think, confuse things with me doing political work or, well, I wasn't at that time actually, but anyway, um, you know, have things confused with me running right. as a candidate and, and representing and the what, organization. what made you want to run? Um, you know, honestly, it was a fleeting thought through my head when I was in a meeting at work hearing about some of the challenges of getting bills carried mm -hmm. in Sacramento. Right. And I said, you know what, just go up there and do it myself. <laughs> and, and in your experience, your first year experience, what like being in the, in the shoes of hearing like, oh, it's hard to get stuff done to actually coming here and doing it. Yeah. What, what's you that You see like? how hard it is yeah. to get stuff done. <laughs> um, it's definitely it's definitely eye opening, I think, because I've been doing, you know, political work and lobbying and advocacy mm -hmm. for many years. There wasn't a lot that surprised me um, in terms of kind of what the job would be and what the right. work would be like. Um, but how slow and incremental change is um, is frustrating when you're on the outside of the building and continues right. to be frustrating on the inside of the so building. Like, I remember like. <laughs> 
maybe it was maybe it was like four years ago or five years ago. Yeah, there's like this big push for universal health care. Mm-hmm. SB five six two. There was a bunch of nurses who would chase Anthony Rendon around <laughs> all the time, everywhere. That stopped. Yeah. Why? Um. Well, uh, you know, I mean, I think at the end of the day, you have to. You have to also work together and be able to get to 41 votes. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was that was really unfortunate. I worked a lot on that with our, our coalition and the, at the field um, campaign part of that. And um, I think it was a really good, strong bill um, and it was a heartbreaker. Um, but I know also that, you know, it's really hard to get big sweeping Right. policy passed mm-hmm. and we've been doing that for 30 years and it hasn't happened yet. So, you know, there was, there was a little bit of a different approach this year with SB 770 by Scott Weiner, which I carried on the assembly side, um, which moves the ball forward uh, by just saying, Hey, we got to go start talking to the feds about how we get a waiver to get all of those federal dollars that we need to cover everybody in California on healthcare and answer the questions that I think a lot of my colleagues have. And I've been hearing since I've been, you know, inside talking with folks, people have these questions that still need to be answered. And this is one of the big questions. Can we get those federal dollars? How are we going to pool all of this money together um, to have the dollars we need Mm -hmm. to be able to do it? I know that we save money, you know, the most recent study by the Healthy California for All Commission that they um, that was put together by the governor and the legislature. It was the first state commissioned report and study that said we would save $500 billion right. over the next 10 years if we instituted a unified financing system or single payer. Right. Um, Sounds pretty so good. It saves a lot of money. <laughs> and our healthcare costs are just going up and up and up. Yeah. I mean, I heard. Um, As somebody who pays for somebody's health insurance, I can tell you, yeah. Right? I talked to constituents and they of never mine. Use it. <laughs> Right. You don't use it. Your benefits don't get better, even though the costs go up. And, you know, I talked to constituents of mine who pay more for health insurance than they do for their mortgage. Mm -hmm. It is crushing people. And coming out of the labor movement, I saw at the bargaining table, you know, so much money on the table goes just to pay for health care increases. It doesn't go to pensions or wages. It's all of this money is taken out of of workers' pockets to pay for insurance companies. And so um, there's a lot of money that we're missing there. You know, when I started doing this work over a decade ago, before I I got into it at CNA, um, there was a whole effort to have school districts by CSEA at the time um, calculate how much they would save if we transitioned to a single payer system. LAUSD, and this is almost 20 years ago now, um, calculated that they would save $300 million a year. So if you multiply that by 20 years, that's $6 billion right. they would have saved in the it's last like 20 years. It's like companies that go self-insured or whatever. They save so much money. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, because you cut out a middleman. Right. And that's where a lot of savings is. Um, so, so who's opposed to this? The middleman. The middleman yeah. might yeah. be opposed yeah. to it. <laughs> <laughs> they might not like that idea. Yeah. yeah. But I think, you know, I, I think that there needs to be a new conversation about this issue because I heard a lot of discussion with the healthcare minimum wage, you know, that people were talking about um, it was a big policy and, and piece of legislation passed this year authored by um, Senator Durazo. And, you know, there was a lot of concern about how do we pay for this? The, the 
hospitals and clinics that are mostly on Medi-Cal, right? We know Medi-Cal doesn't cover the cost of care. It's too low. Um, we need more money to fund folks um, on Medi-Cal. And so this is literally a dedicated fund of, of a source of funding for healthcare um, that would go to really increase access to care, pay for more providers, address inequities like, you know, you can't get providers in low-income communities or in rural communities. You know, this would make sure that people are being paid and actually reimbursed at a level that pays for the cost of care so that it would entice people to work in rural communities and low-income mm -hmm. communities. It would build up our public health infrastructure um, and, you know, and support the infrastructure that's already there to provide care to more people. Right. So, um, and it saves us billions of dollars. I don't see a lot of bills coming through that would save us billions of so dollars. So you have bipartisan support on this since it saves so much I money? think we should. I mean, conservatives in, you should check out this film called Fix It. Um, and it talks to conservatives in Canada right. who said they decided not to come to the United States and open a business because the cost of health care was so much. And they're like, it makes business sense. Right. I don't understand why, why Republicans in the United States don't support it because it does make business sense. I mean, people don't start businesses. They don't hire employees all because the cost of health care is so expensive. There are so many ripple effects in right. our economy because of it. You know, I've kind of noticed a trend. There seems to be like a lot of, of newly elected who are coming kind of with a similar background as you, kind of former union organizers and stuff like that. Why is that? Why do you think you guys are finally kind of coming in? You're kind of, I guess, seeing how the process is working and you guys want to jump in yourselves. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, after working for 20 years on the front lines of so many issues that I care deeply about mm -hmm. and being frustrated that you hit a wall so often at the Capitol, um, that you want to get inside and be able to move the ball forward. I also have worked a lot on homelessness, which is something I really care a lot about. I co-founded an organization in my district working on homelessness. Um, and so, you know, for me, right. it's another aspect of economic right. justice, right? People who are at the lowest um, point of our economic ladder, just in, in desperate poverty. Right. Um, and there's a lot of work to do in that area. And especially being on the front lines of that issue and seeing how policy is failing was incredibly frustrating when you see people suffering as a result of it. Right. Um, so, you know, we we're talking off camera right now. You live in Chatsworth, mm -hmm. but where did you grow up? Did you grow up in that area or, or somewhere else? I actually grew up in Sonora, which is near oh, Yosemite. Up here, yep. Yeah, up okay. here, not too far from here, a couple hours. So, um, yeah, so I grew up in the foothills, mm -hmm. in the mountains, hiking and swimming in rivers and lakes. And... Um, it was, a, it was a really great place to grow up. And my dad was a logger when I was younger. So my mom would load us up at the end of the school year and we'd go camp wherever my dad was logging in the Pacific Northwest. And we would camp all summer long for like three months and see these beautiful places, mountains and rivers and waterfalls. And, um, yeah, so I had a, I, I grew up really having a deep appreciation for nature, which is, I think one of the reasons I ended up in Chatsworth because, when I drove down to Panga um, and saw these beautiful uh, Santa Santa Susana mountains there with these huge red rock boulders and these green bushes, it was so beautiful. I can walk to hiking trails from my house, so I'm very lucky. That's awesome. So then how did you go from Sonora to Chatsworth? How did you end up down south? Um, well, there was a lot that happened in between there. I went to undergrad at Sonoma State. I went up to Oregon and I worked there a couple years for an Indian tribe um, for their Tribal Head Start program mm -hmm. and helped kids and families transition into kindergarten from the Head Start and find 
cultural supportive services to follow them along. Um, that's actually how I got interested in the labor movement. I was learning a lot about early childhood brain development. And the one thing that impacts every aspect of a child's brain development is the economics of their family. And so I realized if I really wanted to help families that I needed to, you know, and kids that I wanted to change the economics of their families. And and that kind of led me to the labor movement when you get a contract and suddenly you have health care and you didn't and you have a living wage or you didn't and you right. have a pension and you didn't. You know, it's that um, my dad got a union job. He became an electrician later in life. And, um, you know, my family, my parents are retired and on his pension and not in poverty because of that. And we saw health care for the first time in our family when he got that union job or he could, you know, have a sick day and not worried about losing pay. It it changed the economics of our family. And, you know, I, I believed it really could make a huge difference in people's lives. So um, I went to grad school at UMass Amherst in labor studies. And um, where's that in Massachusetts? Massachusetts. Somewhere? Yeah. In Amherst, Western Massachusetts. Also rivers. Was it before <laughs> Romney care? Or? It was before. Yeah, yeah it was okay. before. Um, yeah. And that, yeah, that was a huge uh, change to our healthcare. But, um, and then I came back to California. I worked doing uh, political work. I was actually in the Bay Area for a little while. Um, did political work there and started working for the nurses there. Uh, I worked also for a board of supervisor at in San Francisco uh, and did legislative work. So I got my taste of how you make policy mm. and bring it from the beginning to the end. Um, and then uh, we actually moved down to L.A. because my stepdaughter, her mom had remarried and they had moved out of the state, but they moved back to Northridge. And so we wanted to be closer to her. So we moved down to L.A. and popped around a little bit. And then when I got divorced, I found a home in Chatsworth um, that I loved. And my daughter went to the neighborhood school there. And um, yeah, and just, you know, was working for the nurses. And then this all popped up. And so, you know, the, it comes to run for assembly. You mm -hmm. have experience as, you know, an organizer. How did that help you in, in your election? Oh, my gosh. Incredibly. Um you know, I mean, as an organizer, I really believe in the power of face-to-face -face conversations mm -hmm. and one-on-one -on -one conversations. And so from the very start, um, I thought it was really critical that we had really strong field and we knocked on those doors and we did, you know, phone calls. And I, I called personally over a thousand voters myself. I knocked on many, many doors. Did you doors. go back and check to see if they voted for you or not? <laughs> <laughs> did you do that? Like, any analytics on this I, You know, I didn't. Um, but, you know, I'm going to take their word for it if they, if yeah. they, the, people were honest. Some people were yeah. undecided at the end of our conversation, you know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> What's the most memorable conversation you had? Um, oh, gosh. I don't know. It was always what always struck me as funny was people would be really surprised that I was calling them myself. Yeah. They're like, really? I think one guy didn't believe that I was calling him. I'm like, oh, I don't know. It is, it's me. Right. <laughs> but, um, you know, just coming from, you know, being grassroots organizer, basically, and, you know, coalition builder for people to have kind of some star right. effect because I called them personally um, was a little strange. Um but I think, you know, it was, I think it, it's so important for them to have direct communication with people representing them. And, um, and it really helped me to 
have a really good pulse on what folks are thinking and feeling in the district. Right. And I take those stories and conversations and the issues that people brought to me in those conversations with me every day right. in the work. And how many votes did you win by? It was pretty close. 522. Wow. It was very close. And I did not pull ahead. Normally until... that would be the closest, but there was like a, a couple Normally, other, like 11 or like 40. I know. Wow. We had quite a few close ones this year. Yeah. It was a a wild election year. Um, but yeah, the the second to the last day of counting, I finally pulled ahead. I was down by, I think, 9,000 votes election night. What were the thoughts and night. feelings like going through those? What, it takes like... Oh, month, God, right? it was the worst. It was the worst. I was having a heart attack like every day. Because everyone thinks, terrible. oh, you have your election, you have your party. No, no party. Like, well, we had a party on election night, but I was also like, down 9,000 votes. <laughs> it was wild. I was up like 24,000 votes at the beginning and then 12 and then down by nine. You know, it was a total roller coaster election night. And then um, every day after there, they, they were they were just counting them every other day, which at least gave me a day to breathe and know that nothing was mm -hmm. going to change. Um, but then LA County started counting them every day. So then I just had to have a heart attack every single day while I was anticipating right. where it was going to go. And it was, it was always going in the right direction. Um, except for there were a couple dips and I was like, oh no, this is not going to work out. And, but it all depended on how many votes were out there. You know, if, if there was enough votes yeah. out there, we could surpass her. And if there weren't, then, you know, we could it, have been. It was crazy. We talked to Melissa Hurtado on Tuesday before the final vote count. Oh. She was down a couple thousand. And there was a Ugh. couple thousand left. And I was like, you have to get like 90% of these votes for it to flip your way. And she's like, yeah, we're confident about it. I was like, wow. And it happened. I was like, wow. Isn't that wild? <laughs> yeah. It was wild. I know. We were doing a lot of math. There was a yeah, lot like, of math. Like, if there's right. this many votes, then we need this percentage. Right. <laughs> yeah. they know whose votes are out there, right? Or who's, like, where they're I mean, from you don't know, though, from. because, no? you know, they're countywide. Right. So you don't know how many are in your district. Um, we had no idea. You know, there were speculations about what turnout was right. and what percentage it would be. But would percentage in our district be the same as countywide? You know, there's you you don't know. There's and, a lot of guessing. Historically, how long has this seat been a Republican seat? It until Christy Smith flipped it in 2018, it had okay. been always been Republican. And then she flipped it for the first time. And then when she jumped to run for Congress, we lost it. You know, there were five Democrats jumped in. They split the vote so much that the two Republicans advanced. The, the Steve Fox area. It was, well, it was Suzette Valadares. Mm. Yeah. And, um, well, and thank God they found you. One other. <laughs> <laughs> I know. So, um, so yeah. So the, at least when I ran, there were only two Democrats that yeah. time. Um, so, you know, you get up here, you're in Sacramento. You have like this last minute, you know, I won and you, you drive up and it <laughs> takes you forever. Uh, <laughs> it was a kinda, different time, but yes, that as, did as happen I recall, too. Like, all like the newly electeds though were up here meeting for I the speaker, I know. Right? I'm like seeing their pictures meeting. on Twitter. Yeah. They're up here getting oriented and I'm just like waiting for the vote count to come in that day. I took my, the one good thing was I took my kid to the zoo the next day. So I was at the zoo while the whole speaker vote was going on. Um, so you were out of that. You, yeah. You I was like, I'm that. at the okay. zoo. Have fun. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, it was, I really was sad to miss out on that. Um, they had some later orientations for us. So me and a few other folks uh, were in that together. And then the biggest fear for me was everyone had been hiring staff mm -hmm. and I was so behind. And so, 
you know, we found out the Saturday night before Thanksgiving, we found out I pulled ahead and there was basically no mathematical way um, to lose at that point. And so celebrated with a couple people. And then the next morning, Sunday morning, I woke up like 7 a.m. and I'm like, is it too early to start texting people? <laughs> I start texting people. I'm like, I need stuff. Send me referrals. Um, so I just, as quickly as possible, tried to find out what staff are still around. Mm-hmm. I was very fortunate. I got incredible staff. I, I Did you know some of these people from before? I didn't know. No. Um, well, my district staff, I knew all yeah. of them. Yeah, I had great district staff. Um, but Sacramento, no, it was yeah. all new to me. And they're like a well-oiled machine, just incredible, amazing staff. I'm very lucky. No, can, we, can we show people this? Like, the Oh, yeah. Thing? One so of them made this. this. These are all of her bills on this little card. <laughs> My little cheat sheet. Some members come in here, they have like pages and pages. No, this, nope. is, this is good staff right Short here. and sweet. I know. Yeah. He's brilliant. Very good at crafting, Laminated too. Laminated and everything. I know. I know. So, um, yeah, I'm a fan. I've been showing. My members have been jealous. I pulled this out. I know. And they're you like, show what other is members. That? This is like. I know. Yeah. It's going to be the next new thing. You better hold on to that. <laughs> yes. This will be in my mementos <laughs> of my first year. Um, so kind of what was the, the first year like? Uh, you know, coming up, getting your bill packages, uh, you know, going through a, appropriations. Yeah. Suspense. Uh, how was your first session? How did how did it end up? I think really good. I mean, I'm very very proud of. We were able to pass nine bills. Um, we have a few that are two year bills still. Mm. And um, how many did you start with? Started with. Well, let's let's, see, let's, let's count let's here: see. two, four, six, eight, ten, twelve. 14, 16, 17, 17. So better than 50%. To the better than 50%. A couple of these are still alive as two-year bills. Um, so we lost five uh, in, in, in assembly appropriations, the Senate appropriations. Somehow I made it all the way through. Um, but, you know, we did, we did, I think, really good, smart, impactful bills that are going to make a difference for people. And that's what I came up here to do, focusing really on, on housing, homelessness mm-hmm. and health care. The three H's are what we were focusing on. Um, and then some other, you know, environmental right. district bills, uh, gun safety, stuff like that, too. But um, but, you know, that's those are issues I've worked on, issues close to my heart that I'm really passionate about and issues that people in the district really care about. Yeah. And so I think that in a lot of ways, um, my background, what I'm passionate about is a really good fit for the district. And um, <clears throat> and we're bringing back bills that remove red tape, you know, to get housing online much more quickly. I got bipartisan support on most of my bills. Um, and, you know, and I think are things that are going to move the ball in a lot of different areas. You know, the really impactful things that are going to expand health care for women on um, and families and kids, babies on Medi-Cal to get postpartum care for a whole year um, after having a baby. I yeah. know. Instead Speaking of three of months. My wife who's a state employee gets six weeks yeah. disability, half pay. I know. I know. Well, we that's a little better. Yeah. We could do <laughs> a lot better compared yeah. to other countries. Um, but yeah, but that, you know, that care where people actually come to your home and, and support the, the mom and the family and the baby. Um, a lot of times postpartum depression doesn't show up until after six months. So mm-hmm. if you're getting care in the first three months, yeah. those are, that's missed. Um, so that, you know, is something really close to my heart. Um, and you know, things to address public safety, elder abuse, um, 
And, you know, and I was able to co-author some bills that I think are really great. One with Jesse Gabriel to allow for outdoor dining to continue in restaurants where, you know, cities were really um, making that unaffordable for people Mm -hmm. to make permanent um, after they made those modifications and adjusted so many times during the pandemic. Um, And people love outdoor dining and it's, you know, healthy because COVID still exists. So, um, so yeah, so I feel good about really what we've been able to do this year. Um, I just looked at your bill list before yeah. the show, and you had this really cool bill about electric roads. Uh, that sounds awesome. What yes. is that, and like how far are we from from that actually happening? I mean, I say the time is now, um, especially after my experience of driving. So that was on Thanksgiving. You got a, a Mach-E, right? You got a Ford Mach-E. No, I have, a, I have a Chevy, Chevy Bolt, Bolt EUV. Okay. Yeah. So, um, kind of range you have on that thing. I mean, it's supposed to be around 240, mm-hmm. but how I drive, it's more like 180. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, and then, you know, going over the grapevine, right. I mean, yep. like, what are you, yeah. 50 miles? Yeah. I don't know. So, um, so yeah, so we, I told my daughter, I was like, this is going to be great. It's like an experiment. We're going to drive for Thanksgiving yeah. to my brother's house. And, She's like, we should really take the train. And I was like, no, no, it's going to be great. (laughs) And then um, it was horrible. We had to stop four times. Part of it, I will admit, user error. You know, one, like the app I was using was kind of clunky and it didn't show how fast the charger was. So I ended up at 10 o'clock in Escalon um, at like a county parking lot charging on a slow charger or level two charger so that I could get enough charge to get to a fast charger. (laughs) And we're just sitting there with our doors locked. Um, And then, you know, we end up at another place that also didn't have fast chargers. And there's like 12 Tesla chargers and two of them are being used. And then there's four level two chargers One's being used, two are broken, and luckily I could get the other right. one. And like level two for people who don't know, that's like 20 miles an hour. Not yeah, fast, yeah, but. no, it would take me eight hours for my car no. to fully charge. <laughs> okay. And so I found a fast charger down the street. So finally, you know, my daughter's just beside herself. It's like 1030 at night. We're in a mall parking lot. She's just crying. And she's like, I told you we should have taken the train. Fossil fuels are the way, mom. <laughs> I know. I know. So, um, so yeah, it was an eye opener Mm. for me. And I actually found out about, um, basically being able to charge your car while you drive wireless charging for your car from another woman who was at a charger Mm. for the first three months I got my car. I didn't have charging at home. So I was on the public charge. So I was out there, you know, elbowing my way into getting a charge before I had to go to a meeting or something. And I was talking to a woman who was also waiting to charge. And she told me about this technology. And so I started looking it up um, and they've been doing it in Europe. They're starting to do test models here in the United States. They have a couple happening in Michigan. Um, They have a proof of concept out in Nevada. And it's actually being used by electric buses here in California Mm -hmm. and Washington state. They do more, um, you know, there's a charging pad at bus stops and that extra 10 minutes, you know, while they're at a a major stop and they need to take a break and, you know, let people on. Um, It allows them to run those buses for 12 to 14 hours a day without stopping to charge. That's awesome. It's yeah, it's huge. And imagine if you if you electrified, you know, patches of the five and you could charge every 10 miles or something like that, then 
it would not take four extra hours exactly. to drive from LA exactly. to Sacramento. <laughs> and also, I mean, it's a it's an equity issue. People who don't have charging at home, like I didn't right, in the beginning. That's a big problem, right? Because everyone's like, oh, you have all these apartments, a housing issue. You don't yeah. have parking anymore. Where, Where are, are you going to have charge? all these chargers unless yeah. they're like as prevalent as a you know a parking meter? Right. Um, and so you know, people can charge while they're driving to work. They can, you know. The, the huge trucks, there's all of these, you know, yeah. discussion I guess about it solves the battery issue too, right? Yeah, you, you don't have charge, you don't you need don't, as large right. of a battery. All you need is Saves for when you're weight, off the major highways. Yeah. Yes. And there's all this investment happening right now, you know, around infrastructure because the huge federal investments in infrastructure. Right. I'm just like, you know, trying to bang the <laughs> the bell and get people's attention on this because you know, if we're going to be replacing roads, we should be thinking about including this kind of technology and really, you know, moving this ball forward. It's, it's why I requested to have a select committee, electric vehicle and infrastructure select committee. Mm-hmm. We're going to be having a hearing where we're going to talk about electric roads and other innovation that's happening, highlighting what the oh, Antelope yeah, Valley awesome. Transit is doing. Yeah. So we're having that hearing uh, October, November um, coming up. And um, and I think. You know, it, it really it's a game changer. Right. And I think it's something we just need to jump ahead. We're going to need all kinds of charger. We will still need plug in chargers. We'll still need all of those things. Right. But this really would go a long way to addressing our, our charging infrastructure yeah. needs that we will need to be able to make our transition to electric vehicles. Yeah, that sounds awesome. Yeah. Um, water is always one of our hot topics here on this show. People yes. love it. Um, you have a water protection bill that is currently sitting on Gavin Newsom's desk. Yes. What is that? Um, so I I would say I have two that actually help protect water. But the one you're talking about is also really important in our district. So um, there is a mine called Semex that would be the second largest aggregate mine, which is gravel, um, in all of North America. And Semex? Semex. And it would be right in Santa Clarita. Um, they've been trying to get fully permitted for 30 years. It's mm. been in process for 30 years. Um, it would be. <laughs> Just my, wait for that stamp. Uh, there might be some opposition. Oh. So, um, but it's right next to the Santa Clara River. And not to confuse people, yes, there is a Santa Clara River that in goes through Santa, Santa Clarita. Clarita. I don't know why. But um, St. Clair, very popular maybe, 200 years ago. Must have been yeah. it. And it's one of the only natural rivers in Southern California that still exists and is running. And it supplies water to all of Santa Clarita Valley. And um, they, they would run off, you know, anything that runs off from this mine would run into the water. We're really concerned about that. Um, and, you know, there are people living in our community raising families who weren't even alive when they pulled this permit 30 years ago. And so we think it's important that if you have a permit pending for this long, um, you know, any project that goes on so long, right, right over 30 years, that, that, that the public should have an opportunity to voice concerns and, and or support um, at the state water board. And so the water board just kind of reopens an opportunity for public comment on that um, to, you know, to allow the public to have input because our, you know, our city has grown. So it right. barely, it was three years old. Santa Clarita was three years old, 30 years ago, That's crazy. you know, so yeah. there's a lot that's changed in our water needs <laughs> um, in the city of Santa Clarita and how this could really impact yeah. it. That's kind of interesting. Like, you know, you're talking about housing and like that's kind of the boom area, right? Because it's it is relatively close to Los Angeles mm-hmm. and it was affordable. Yes. And now it's probably not as affordable. Not so affordable. Yeah. yeah, I know. I mean, I've heard from a lot of people who have talked about how 
you I know, guess, they moved out there because housing was affordable. Yeah. There were really good schools. And now their kids can't afford to live in the town that they raised them in. Right. It's really, yeah, it's our housing crisis is a huge, huge issue throughout all, my whole district. Is there still space to build? And, there is. Yeah. There's a lot of building still happening in Santa Clarita. Yeah, it's building out and out and out. Um, and so I know there's, you know, there's um, some concerns about making sure that we do that in a in a safe way. But um, but there is still a lot of building that's happening in Santa Clarita mm-hmm. and people are still coming, you know, out of L.A. Um, to get something that's more affordable than maybe where they live. But still, in the scheme of things, not affordable What's for most home people. What's a cost? Like a, like a three bedroom, two I have bath, no idea. Period. I mean, if this is a wild guess, but yeah. I would say like single family, three bedroom, it's got to be $750,000 probably. Yeah. Seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars. And when you move, like, moved in the area, what? I mean, my place is not affordable for me now. I moved there five years ago, six years ago, um, and I could not buy my place now That's if crazy. I had to. Yeah. yeah, and it's just a few years. Yeah. I mean, I'm not like other people who've been in their homes for right. twenty years. Um, so it's yeah. I mean, we we really. The only way that I was able to get into my first home was because there was a, a first time home buyer program that helped me with the down payment. It helped a lower down payment, a lower interest rate. I didn't have to pay um, mortgage insurance. You know, it really cut down on costs for me. That's how I was able to get in my first home. And then I built some equity. And that's how I was able to get in my second right. home when I got divorced. Um, and so. You know, those kinds of programs are so important for people. And it's just it breaks my heart that we have such a a generation of people who just don't believe they'll ever own a home. Right. It's it's unbelievable. And yeah, yeah a lot of work to do. I feel it. Yep. Yes. Uh, <laughs> you know, Aliso Canyon, mm. uh, you know, a lot of talk around that, something you've been working on. Can you kind of tell our listeners a little bit about that and what you've been doing? Yes. So Aliso Canyon in 2015 was the largest gas explosion, natural gas explosion in North America, um, maybe in the world. And it leaked gas for five or six months. Um, and it's you know, the topography of it is the Aliso Canyon storage facility is kind of on the top of the hill. Right. Um, and then the gas just kind of stayed on the bottom and sunk down into the canyons and all down through the community of Porter Ranch, which is right next to it on the on the hill there. And then it comes down into the San Fernando Valley where we have Northridge and Granada Hills and Chatsworth, my, right. where I live. You know, people got sick in those areas. People were, you know, getting rashes, nosebleeds. Animals were dying. People have gotten these rare forms of cancer. Like, there are huge, huge health impacts. They had to move two whole schools out of the community and and put them into another couple wow. of schools for a whole semester, the rest of the school year. Um, it People had to move out of their homes and lived in hotels for many months. I mean, it was a huge, huge impact. And because of that, they, you know, the, um, they, they restricted their gas storage. Um, it was restricted most recently to 40%. There was just, uh, the CPUC just took action to increase it, which I opposed Henry Stern, who's the overlapping Senator opposed, um, Brad Sherman, the congressman opposed, actually people, Adam Schiff, uh, you know, people, right. federal legislators weighed in on it. Everybody opposed. 100% of the people I would talk to in the district opposed it. 
Um, but they still chose to increase it, which was incredibly, incredibly frustrating and disappointing. And I think very short sighted when they literally have a proceeding right now talking about closing it in 2027 and they're increasing the gas storage. Wow. And, you know, more pressure is a bad idea at a place that's had a bunch of leaks and still has leaks. Honestly, yeah. I was up there canvassing during my campaign, the you know, summer last summer and I smelled gas when I was up there. I mean, it's not abnormal for people to go hiking and smell gas. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's not like it's solved. Um, and there's a real concern of the continued health impacts that our people are experiencing there. So we fought very hard against that. Unfortunately, the CPUC, I think made a bad choice, um, and decided to increase it anyway. Mm -hmm. Um, but hopefully this larger proceeding, they will soon be putting forward a real plan to shut it down. Yeah. So you just you just finished your, your first year mm-hmm. um, getting ready to go into the, the off season here, gearing up for next year. Kind of what are your priorities for next year? Are the three H's going to prevail again next yes. year or are you going to look at some other things? Yeah, we definitely want to continue to work on the three H's, housing, healthcare, homelessness. Um, those are things that uh, I want to continue to have an impact Solve around. Solve those, please. Yeah, so I know. I, that's what I told my chief of staff when I came up. I said, look, let's just solve homelessness. Figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, there is a solution there if there is the will. Um, and, you know, I think housing is the number one solution that we really can focus on. There's a lot of effort around mental health and drug treatment and all of those things Mm -hmm. are pieces of it. But until you have a home and you are stabilized, you can't think about going to drug treatment while you're worried about your stuff getting stolen or getting assaulted or whatever's happening on the streets, you know, you have to get housing first. And I really believe in that. Um, and so I think, and we have to focus our policies on permanent housing. I think there's, you know, in, in a rush to respond to everyone's frustration, which is understandable, all, you know, people come at it from a different angle, but pretty much everyone's frustrated about homelessness right now. And, um, there's so much effort to just put people somewhere and, You know, there are a lot of options out there that are permanent housing that cost the same. And, you know, you can get people into permanent housing because right now the problem that is happening is people are getting into these temporary interim housing and then they're just stuck there because there's no permanent housing for them to, to go to. And so the real problem that we have around addressing homelessness is that there is no long term permanent housing that people can go to. That's where I want to focus my solution. So I focused on 100%. You know, my bill this year was focusing on getting 100% affordable housing online more quickly, removing red tape and making it easier to get state funding for affordable housing and homeless Mm -hmm. housing. Um, Just we need to create, build and get people into permanent housing as quickly as possible and then can, you know, wrap around supportive services as needed. Awesome. Well, it looks like you got your work cut out for you. Thank you yes. so much for taking uh, the time to stop by and tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah. And uh, to all listeners out there, definitely recommend following Pilar on uh, social media. It's a great follow. Thank, Thank you, you so much, Pilar. It was great talking with you. And I uh, hope we can ch- uh, catch up sometime next year, maybe. I would love that. Thanks, Once sure. you figured out the electric roads and the homelessness. <laughs> yes. <laughs> awesome. Thank Thanks. You.